0: Greetings Amigops and Top Teners everywhere. This is Mike from Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. I'm joined this week, as I am every week, by my lovely co-host, Kyle. He's wearing a a green uh, T-shirt, I believe, this week. He uh, got himself a a nice, neat shave and a haircut. Uh, So, Kyle and I are gonna be talking about a topic this week. I don't bloody know what it is, um, but Kyle's gonna come up with it, and then we're gonna discuss it for somewhere around an hour. Debate it vigorously, and then by the end of that uh, sharp hour, we're going to have a top ten list of that thing. So, Carl, what are we talking about this evening?
1: Oh, thank you, British Michael, for that uh, fantastically uh, non-American introduction. Are you going to do that the whole episode, or is that just an intro thing?
0: I think that's an intro thing. I am already tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my face is kind of tired, and uh, yeah.
1: It just, that, that reminded me of... Jonah Hill making fun of Russell Brand in
0: I feel really terrible. <laughs> it's like everybody else does. I dismissed him. Was, it, was that ghastly accent meant to be me? <laughs>
1: Anyways, so, Mike, uh, this week, we're first of all, we're out of practice. This feels very disjointed. We haven't talked to each other in like a month, I think, or like close to it just because we've been busy with things. And so apologies to the listener if this is like a a choppy podcast. We'll do our best to edit out all the the bullshit in post. But anyways, so this is this is a topic we talked about like a while ago. Not there's no preamble. We're going to be talking about Watchmen season 1, which you told me to watch Watchmen like very very soon after it came out and i just didn't because i don't watch much tv and then it, like i had to have like four people tell me and then you told me again and then finally i watched it and thank god i did and then but it was like so after the fact that it felt weird to do a podcast on it and but now it just won a bunch of awards at the Emmys, so it's kind of fresh on everyone's yeah, this mind this was
0: perfect timing because i hadn't thought about it for a bit and then i saw regina king everywhere and that made me really happy
1: yeah, precisely. So it's kind of on people's minds, and hopefully they're if they watched it, they're refreshed. And if they haven't watched it, maybe the, the combination of the Emmys and our talking about it will convince some people to watch, which I think is only a good thing, because I don't really know that many people that watched it, so I'm excited to talk about it with somebody. And so the the idea of this list is like, the top 10 ways to update Watchmen for 2020 And I've kind of broken it out into like three different zones. And so they're not necessarily like 10 to 1, but kind of similar to you've done a couple of times where like there's three buckets that we're going to talk about, like 10 things that fall into those buckets in some way, shape or form.
0: I like that. I, I was actually I'm very interested to kind of get your your approach on this, because I knew we had discussed doing something with this. I actually think I'm in a good spot where I'm not super fresh on the show. So it'll be good to, like... This will be nice for me to jog my memory. But I remember thinking, like, what would the angle be? What would my angle be? And I, I didn't come up with anything that kind of jumped to mind.
1: Yeah, I had a hard time with it. I don't think there's, like, an overarching... It, part of the problem is there's so many things I want to talk about with regards to this show. Because it's, it's like, fucking jam-packed with stuff to talk about. Um, and so this is, like, intentionally very broad, so we can kind of go wherever we want to. But some so necessary context, like, I... Really, like I think we both are among the only people that like really liked the Watchmen movie.
0: We are really in in rarefied air, there. Yeah, there's not the, the only and I, and I do say and I want to say I'm I'm choosing rarefied air specifically because that has a, a positive connotation, and I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us for looking past that movie's flaws because I think I kind of look down upon people who hated that movie as either one of two things they were either bums who wanted a more standard action movie or bums who couldn't get their noses out of the air that it wasn't the perfect adaptation and they were too snooty for it like i think i think you and i had the exact right level of snoot for that movie and i'm proud of us
1: yeah no it was a good take by us i think especially like in retrospect because if you ask me like it's definitely the best thing that Zack snyder has done like maybe unquestionably yeah like
0: 300 was 300 was bigger and more fun but Watchmen is better
1: yeah so anyways that's important I think I actually do think that's really important context is like we're coming at, at this is like people that enjoyed the movie and were at least for me like really looking forward to a, a tv show adaptation but like very very nervous about how it would go and I've also read the graphic novel and so I think I think you may have gotten that for me as a gift.
0: I think I got it for you as a gift. And I hadn't read it when I got it for you as a gift, but I have since read it. And we're both big Watchmen fans. I would say my experience with hearing about this TV show was was interesting because I was not excited. I assumed it would be because I think if I'm remembering correctly, the order of operations was I hear there's going to be a show. I say, oh, God, that's going to be terrible. Then I hear that it's going to take on kind of race in America, and I say, Oh, I'm actually super (laughs) interested in that because what I think was so cool about the Watchmen film and the Watchmen kind of canon generally is it's a really good canvas to put whatever story onto it. Like you can take sort of Cold War America, like the changes of the, you know, the kind of between the end of World War II and then, you know, kind of the new millennium time period, I, you could probably retrofit it to, you know, World War II, World War One, the future. Like, put it on anything. Like, this framework works for telling a really good story about social themes. So that excited me.
1: Yeah, like, the fact that they had a specific kind of issue they wanted to look at. Because, like, that's very much the tone of the original yeah. content. And you're right. Like, they're just, like... It, reapplying that same formula to a different more appropriate time and it's like far more appropriate than even they i think realized it would be probably because if you think about it like production on the show had to have started like i don't know if it's if it was like on tv in 2019 like a couple- it's
0: probably 2017 i would guess
1: right and so like in that time like between like the idea for this and when it actually aired like all sorts of nonsense happened that is yeah, like in retrospect, like extremely germane to what it's talking about. It's including like unintentional things, like just the masks. Like it just fits this like time perfectly. So yeah, it, we'll talk about that more like as we go. That's like part of kind of the whole idea of this. So we can just get started. But towards the bottom of the list, I have some things that are kind of less important, and I've grouped them into like this bucket of if you're going to make a really good Watchmen adaptation, you have to respect the original content. So number 10 is i think they did a really good job with like the requisite number of easter eggs and references like it got it got a lot of that stuff right without getting this is like kind of a loaded term but without getting like fan servicey like, if you ask me like it's actually like just the right amount because i think if you weren't really paying attention some of the stuff would have been over your head but it was ni- a nice nod if you have read the novel or, or are a fan of the movie like some examples are like, like the template for like the police cruisers that they use are based off of Archie, like the, you know, like the the night owl kind of ship. And a lot of, what I thought was cool is that a lot of them are very subtle and that they're just like kind of scene structure callbacks. So like that really cool cemetery scene where uh, Angela has to push the grave or the like the bomb into the grave is like Kind of a reference to the like the cemetery scene in the original Watchmen, like a very famous scene, and like the prison break scene is like it's very similar to the the Rorschach like prison breaks. Like a lot of this stuff is kind of intent. I think it's kind it's kind of a true detective idea, right? Like this flat circle concept where these things are all just kind of happening again in slightly different circumstances. And so I thought having those Easter eggs is kind of a nod to fans and also like serving this underlying theme of recurring kind of recurring motifs was, was really well done.
0: I totally agree. I think this fits well with the best, um, sort of, uh, comic book, uh, IP. Like if you think about, um, if you think about winter soldier, for example, that's a film that you could watch as a totally uninitiated Avengers noob, or as somebody who's like, you know, totally way steep in Avengers stuff. And I think it's the same with, um, You know, kind of like Logan, for example, like the best the best things that are part of a pre existing canon are those that, you know, kind of welcome new people and are also welcoming to the existing fans. And I think this you're right. This struck the perfect balance. Like take, for example, um, Dr. Manhattan, who, you know, spoiler alert, will show up on the show. You didn't really have to know about him for this show to work. It definitely works better. For sure, it works better if you understand the character's backstory. But it was pretty neat that they were able to weave that really important and deep backstory into a show in a way that kind of still worked if you weren't initiated.
1: Yeah, I think I'd have a hard time recommending this. Not a hard time, but like if I were to recommend this to somebody that had no exposure to this universe, you'd have, you'd have to give that caveat. Like, just so you know, like, there's a lot to bring up to, to get up to speed on, but like that's true also for people that aren't familiar with the universe because so much of it is new. So like it's a, it's a bit of a steep learning curve, but it's not an insurmountable one by any means.
0: Totally. And I also think the show does such a nice job of atmosphere. The atmosphere kind of is clear from the first episode and the first scene of the first episode. And, it, and I think that's what's partly really important about bringing somebody into a fictional world, especially one with so many different kind of rules and, you know, characters and references that aren't familiar to us, is you have to bring them into the atmosphere and kind of make them feel like they're welcome. And this this show definitely.
1: Yeah, no question.
0: Yeah, great call. That's a good number 10.
1: Number nine, I had uh, fix, fix some of the movie's mistakes and...
0: yes that was a big that was a big one
1: and make sure that you're like respecting the the original content the graphic novel and the biggest example and like one of the one of the things i was disappointed on uh with the movie was for those of you this is spoilerific so yeah a, a big plot point in this show is that like the the squid bomb in new york like the alien attack and then like the recurring like squid showers that like (laughs) Vite has been doing like in for the past like however many years and so that is something that is true like that's from the graphic novel and very like controversially in the movie is something that is not in there and in the movie I think the whole idea is they frame Dr. Manhattan so like instead of a squid bomb blowing up in New York it's like a Dr. Manhattan atomic bomb or something like that. And so they just, I like that they just pretended that that didn't happen in the movie and they're, and they just kind of move ahead with this, this other concept that was introduced initially back in the actual graphic novel.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's funny. I've been thinking about this concept a lot. Um, well, cause I'm watching the Sopranos about how different works of art are in conversation with others. And I actually think the ringer did a piece. I, I didn't read it, but I saw about, how Goodfellas bridges the gap between The Godfather and The Sopranos. And it's just, like, it's really important to know that every piece of pop culture that you interact with is in conversation with other ones before and after it. And I think how you choose to address that is really important. Like, for example, if you're going to make The Sopranos, do you reference The Godfather? Like, do you actually come out and say, hey, these characters watch The Godfather? And I think that's a really important choice. The Sopranos, spoiler alert, does choose to do that. And it's actually really well done because it shows how interacting with that pop culture shapes the characters in the show. And it's a really intentional decision. It actually works really well. And so I think it's really smart when people making a show understand that their viewers have a relationship to other works of art that either came before in a series or are related to, or even just kind of feel like and having a good grasp on what those preconceived notions are is, is really important. And I think that this one was really smart about, like, there's certain things that they didn't have to explicitly fix, just fix them, just fix them and just kind of move on and assume people are smart enough, if they saw it, to fill in the blanks. And if they didn't, to just get the new better version, like that was really smart. Yeah, it,
1: I, I I like that decision specifically, because it led to like, one of my favorite, like, Half episodes is the whole, whatever that character's name is, Mirror Face. <laughs> no, what is it actually? Oh, looking Doctor Doctor Pendanski. It's Looking Glass. Yeah, Mister Pendanski. So like that whole like mm-hmm. sequence of him like freaking the fuck out when like his alarm isn't working and he's got that bunker and like the reason that he wears the mirror thing is because it's supposed to block like the the mind melting radiation from like whatever squids are out there. Like this whole subgenre of like. This AA meeting of people that are afraid of like squid radiation is like such an incredible <laughs> sequence that I really enjoyed, and that wouldn't have been possible if if they hadn't decided to make this choice. So
0: yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think I don't want to step on something later, but I think it was also just a really cool sort of meta discussion of how the people in this world reacted to the heroes you know in quotation marks that we're familiar with from the graphic novel and from the film where you had people sort of adopting the symbology of those characters we know about in a variety of different ways and that was really cool because that's in itself sort of a commentary on that because i do think and again i don't want to step on it because i'm guessing we'll probably talk a little more about this later but you and i had a lot of conversation on a pod, whatever, a year ago about the Joker and how different people take a message from a, a piece of art very differently and how it's really important that we kind of parse how that happens. And I think this did a really cool job of that. Without question.
1: The last one I had in this bucket was... <laughs> I, I think I texted you like maybe like six or seven episodes in and I said like, I'm really, really enjoying this, but I think they have... A Dr. Manhattan problem. And you told me like... You did. W- you were like, wait until the end. And I think that even having seen the entire thing, like, there there exists a greater Dr. Manhattan problem in this universe. But I give them credit because I think they understand this. And so my number eight is... They kind of like... They have to make fun of Dr. Manhattan and they do. And like, there's a lot of places where they do it. Like... <laughs> The first and most egregious example was when Laurie Blake, the I can't remember the actress's name, but her character is like in some hotel room and whips out this enormous blue dildo, which is like, that
0: was just really something.
1: Yeah, it, like it plays for laughs, but and it's also like an important structural, like like a character building kind of moment for that character. But there's all sorts of other stuff, like there's. There's graffiti of Dr. Manhattan in Vietnam, and, like, someone has spray-painted, like, an enormous blue dick on him, and, like... So,
0: um, I don't... It's, like, one of my favorite parts of the entire show is seeing that. The graffiti.
1: It's really, really... Yeah, it's really cleverly done. It's, like... And it's in your face enough that you're not gonna miss it, but also not, like, the focus of that scene, so... And then... And I think in the last episode, when the senator is, like, about to be Dr. Manhattan, he, like, very on the nose says something like, I'm about to be a god, like, I don't have to put my dick in your face, Like, which is, like, (laughs) it's, it's very, like I said, kind of on the nose, but I like that they're aware of this kind of dynamic with this weird character, and I think, in my opinion, like, we're trying to head it off in some ways. I was disappointed in how the show ended on a note of, like, that character and like that like that power's place in this universe as being a focal point when i don't think it's like really even in the top like five things that i find interesting about this universe but
0: i thought they did the best they could so i think i generally agree with you about them sort of struggling with but kind of figuring out some good ways of dealing with this but i will say i think Part of what I really like about this is that the inherent strangeness of, a, of the concept of a god is funny. It's a funny concept, and it's part of why it's easier to poke fun at people who have faith than it is to try to understand them, because it's funny. And if you don't take the time to sort of get at the root of why people believe what they believe, whether you think that there's something kind of at the root of their belief or not, it's just easier to think it's funny. And so I think that the show does a really good job of balancing sort of the seriousness of live of that this is a universe these characters live in, where there is a god living among them, and the humor and kind of how weird that is. And so I think totally they sort of handle that appropriately, to your to your point. I think I ultimately agree with what you're saying that putting the focus on whether or not the Dr. Manhattan powers are going to be a big part of kind of the universe going forward. If there is even a season two, which maybe there isn't is it's not, it's not the right note to end on. I don't think, but I'm comfortable with the idea of exploring it more. I think I'm talking myself out of it. I think you're probably right. I I don't know how to end that storyline though. That is, I guess the Dr. Manhattan problem is I don't know how you end it without making it sort of unimportant grace note and like an important connection to what's next i don't know
1: yeah it it's tough like it's it's a double-edged sword because like some of the things that they have to like some of the better things that i had to think about during the course of the show were only possible because of dr manhattan like some of this time loop stuff and like these ideas about like destiny and, and like free will like they're not really possible without dr manhattan in some sense but there is a cost to that so anyways i thought they handled the tone well enough
0: yeah i totally agree it's it's just it's a little bit of a tough one but i think they dealt with it as well as they could they took advantage of it where it was you know something they could take advantage of and they kind of mitigated the issues where they could yeah
1: that brings us to our second bucket so if you're gonna do a show like this like however many years later obviously it's important to bring some fresh perspectives to it. But what I like about this show is that they assessed the, like some of the outstanding issues from the original from a new lens. And like, they didn't assume that a lot of the things that you might have thought of were tied off actually were, or like they just kind of reimagined things and tied things back in really nicely. And like, so the first example I can think of is, and I really enjoyed, I, I, first of all, I think Jeremy Irons is like, just fucking incredible in anything I've ever seen him in. I love him. And when I saw him on... God-level good.
0: And especially in this.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. And he's the perfect person to play an older version of Adrian Veidt. 100%. We're just really lucky that, like, the stars align for this to happen. But he's he's just the right mix of, like, pompous, but, like, also... And that's, that's what it comes down to, is, like, at the end of Watchmen, like... The Watchmen, like, just kind of decide that, like, it's okay what he did. Like, they can't change it anyways, but they're like, well, I guess, like, it is what it is. And, like, they just kind of leave it at that. And you're kind of left with this feeling of, like, well, like, strictly speaking, that probably wasn't super moral. But, like, you know, maybe he was right. And, like, the fact that they revisit that and, like, at some points it's a little overt. Like, the, <laughs> the people that he, the people, like, the, these, like, uh these creations that he has on Europa or wherever, like literally are, are sitting in judgment of like his past crimes. And like, like they force you as a viewer to think seriously about like, whether or not you consider this person to be like obscenely evil or like is, or also like mankind's savior. And like, we have the benefit of knowing <laughs> in that same scenario without an enormous, squid bomb detonating in new york and the threat of extraterrestrial invasion the world did continue to spin at least until 2020 and so we know that what he did wasn't necessary but they don't have the benefit of that foresight in this universe and so they really have to decide like whether or not they think this guy is a, a savior or you know like a, a horrible horrible person or, or a little bit of both And, like, the fact that it's, I think, at the end, like, still kind of ambiguous is cool. And I enjoyed that whole aspect of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it is interesting. Like, you think about the concept of, like, a cleansing fire and how nobody's rooting for the fire while it's burning. But once it's over, you kind of try to look at it with some historical perspective. And you think about right now. Like, we're going through an incredibly difficult time in our nation, in our world, with, you know... Race relations probably at their lowest since the 1960s. A uh, global pandemic causing just untold problems. Climate change just interrupting everything that's going on in the world. Like, it's just it's just a litany of, of horrors right now. But you can tell everyone is kind of grasping at the, okay, but what? how does this help? Like, what's the next thing? How is this going to make us better? Like, that's just the way your mind works is, okay... This is awful and you wish that XYZ hadn't happened, but it mu- there must be a lesson for us. There must be some sort of learning and way we improve through this. And I think it's a really interesting way that we as viewers, but definitely like within the context of the show, like you judge Adrian Vite, you ha- like you have to have that perspective. Otherwise, you have to acknowledge that there's this person who just decided to kill untold millions of people and it was wrong. And it's something that you accepted for a really long time. So you kind of like, you you, you sort of have to try to rationalize. You have to try to go towards like, how did this help us? And it is this odd thing, like you said, where we do have this sort of meta real world perspective that, you know, the USSR and the United States kept their fingers off the button but you still are searching for what was the lesson that that killing all those people taught the world of Watchmen. It's and it's, there's it's hard to answer, and that's really cool. That's so uncommon.
1: Yeah, there's nothing more fun than a complex villain, and like <laughs> the best villains are the ones where you where you think like, well, you know, was he re-? like? <laughs> if you listen to Shay's pod uh, villains, yet there's a segment called. Wait, were they right? And like, if, if if that's a serious conversation you can have, like, there's a strong correlation between that and like the quality overall of whatever programming you have. So, Batman
0: is kind of a fascist asshole. Like, that's right. why that's why <laughs> Heath Ledger's Joker works. Like, he is a he is a fascist asshole who has crafted this kind of one rule that actually seems like it's really just in service of his ability to sleep at night. Rather than actually in service of some sort of justice because he lives in a society where due process is supposed to be valued. And he alone has made the decision. And I know they say, like, we all elected the Batman when we chose to do nothing. Like, I remember that being a line of logic. But, like, he still exists in a society where people have not agreed to this. And so part of the reason we still give a crap about Heath Ledger's Joker is because... He had some points. Killing people obviously wasn't the right way to go about making those points, but we agreed with him, and that's why we care. And that's why Adrian White is one of the most lasting and compelling villains of the last 30, 40 years. And this show enriched that legacy.
1: Yeah, that's the biggest thing you can say. Like I I'm glad that there is more to his story than was told in the original graphic novel. And that, like, is certainly not a given. Like the and also just no. like the way that he was like isolated on this like this like cool like english countryside castle for like and for the longest time you have no idea what's going on like it's just beautifully put together and uh i love that whole storyline so totally great next next i have this i think this is so cool like the idea that
0: the seventh cavalry wears rorschach masks so, I, like I said, I was trying not to step on it because it's, like, one of the coolest things about this show. It's also especially cool because it couldn't have been in conversation with the world's reaction of uh, with the movie Joker because it, the timing doesn't line up, but it so perfectly talks to what happened with Joker and why people got so spooked about it.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, like, in, in an even, like, more kind of, like, I think, like, meta commentary maybe it's not meta i think this is probably what they're going for like this idea of a symbol that once meant one thing and is now being like appropriated by another group as a symbol of something else is like not something that exists exclusively in the world of fiction or the world of watchmen it's like but it's also complicated because like in in watchmen it's not like that mask is like a symbol of goodness by any means like rorschach is himself like an incredibly complicated like problematic character and so like to to take a symbol like that that was already pretty powerful and like convert it into something else that means something totally different while making a commentary about something that's happening in real life like i i thought that like that creative choice to do that was like brilliant for like all those storytelling reasons but also just like really makes the show have like this visual identity that's like hard to not love and, like, that's, like, what makes the trailer so great is, like, this visual of, like, all these people in a church wearing these, like, ink-blotted masks, like, tick their way to this doomsday. Like, the whole, the whole, everything about it is, like, and it's number six, but really it's one of my favorite things about the show. I just loved it.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think aesthetically it totally sets the scene for the whole show. Like, that's, the, the image of police officers wearing those yellow, kind of, uh, like, kerchiefs and of the seventh cavalry wearing the Rorschach masks is the, to me, like that's the lasting visual of the show that I guess in Angela in her, her, I forget what, I don't even know what they call her, but whatever her outfit, like those are the visuals for me that last. So that I think is really important, but I also think it's really, it's cool because the whole, I think, I think like for me, the whole point of the Watchmen graphic novel and film is about what happens when we lionize the wrong things. It's like, this is what happens to a society that looks at strong people who don't ask questions and don't act in the interests of other people. When we prize them as the most important, like, here you fucking go. This is what you get. You get nuclear holocaust. You get a world that's at the whims of some madman. And I think it's really smart that that show kind of focused on how Rorschach was sort of marginalized in that world and where it was the handsome muscle man types who were getting the attention. But I think what's cool is sort of in the aftermath of that, this explores what happens when you subsequently lionize somebody else who was also the wrong person to be lionizing who was also had many of the same flaws as those people who you belatedly realized you shouldn't be worshiping like okay yes, we realized we shouldn't be worshiping these people. So we moved on to sort of this countercultural icon in Rorschach, but he himself was loaded with problems and by by sort of elevating the things that you loved about him you're you're implicitly elevating all of these really bad things too and that's that's the whole point of like why, sophisticated viewers uh, and I'll include us in that because we think about this stuff like who watched Joker saw that and understood that the point isn't that we want to be Arthur. The point is this is a person who was sort of left behind and made all these wrong choices and look at what happens. But there's also this sort of weird pull for a lot of people because they identify with that person Rather than saying, like, okay, let me step back and think about what are the things about this person I identify with, why, and is how is that bad? Instead, you identify with that, and you it decide whole hog to just accept that person as a hero. This is what happens. You get the seventh cavalry.
1: Yep. And, uh, I don't know. I think, like, again, I don't think they had any idea what they were doing when they started writing this show, but it really hits home more than ever right now. Because I think right now we're seeing what happens when you buy wholesale into a certain kind of movement and you don't have control necessarily over like what a certain group of people or what like a certain idea can like begin to encompass and that's a that's a little veil because i don't want to get into it like too much but like that's something we're seeing very much happening today and it's
0: well but i think i think part of what's what's particularly compelling cuz you, you point out the aesthetic point is i think we're entering a different phase of sort of cultural history in america it's and it's a cyclical thing these things cycle where symbols are now not to be hidden where i think over the past call it i don't know let's say 50 60 years It was not cool to identify with a particular ideology or a particular set of like totems or symbols. It was cool to sort of put those things aside and and, and not be a part of those things. And it's become, we're cycling back into an era when symbols, images, phrases, slogans, like these things that are really powerful and really visceral are becoming a big part of how we sort of interact tribally. And I think that's part of why this hits home so much is like, in our lifetimes, up until very recently, we didn't know how much an article of clothing, a slogan, a flag, a bit, like we didn't, I didn't at least, I'll speak for myself, like I didn't recognize how truly powerful those things are. And it's becoming more evident to me. And I think this show captures like, having a cool fucking mask matters. That helps you recruit. Like, people will come to your cause because your mask is cool. That matters. Yep.
1: I completely agree. I just, I love that bit. I thought that was a really good choice. Yeah. So cool. This is number five, but again, like, if we're talking about, like, the the, the lasting impact of this show, the, I think it's the sixth episode where Abar takes all of her grandfather's, like, memory pills is like one of the greatest things like you and I are, have ever seen on television and it, it fits into this bucket of assessing the original from a new lens because I, l- I just love the idea that like if you if you read the book and you see the movie like Hood of Justice is there like he's a part of it and he's in the background he's just standing there with this hood on his head
0: like an idiot which is which is part of what's so cool about the kind of re- reclaiming this symbol
1: Exactly. And they just, they, like, they took this, like, piece that was there and ready to be interpreted in a new way, and they turned it into, like, the the perfect, like, thing to look at in, in 2020 when this book was written, like, in the whatever, like, the fucking, like, 80s or whatever. Like, it, it's incredible, and I think you told me, like, when you watched it the first time, you texted me after you'd seen that episode, and were like, you need to watch this because this is, like, the greatest episode of television i've seen in the last however long and you were totally right like the, the and it really like for the most part like obviously the implications of it extend over the entire show but like it's more or less localized to this one episode like the entire history of hooded justice and how it's explained to abar and like as a result to us it's just like a brilliant like 100 or whatever it is 60 plus minutes of television
0: yeah it's just i think the whole concept of like i forget what it was called the the it's not the tree of life but whatever the tree like having skip gates like curating this museum about like american history and like uh, people will probably remember that he was famously the harvard professor who um was stopped by the police from coming into his house and then had the beer in the garden with president obama and Some people might remember their parents being like, Oh, what's he doing having a beer with that guy? Like, because that was a big thing and it turned into a whole big thing. Like, there's symbols upon symbols and it's, and it's meant to sort of, I think this whole episode with the hooded justice is meant to say, this is not Angela's history. This is our history. This is all of us. No, this is a tree. It has branches and it, and they, they spread and they're, they're connected to all of these different people. And the point of this museum is like, each person's history is really important and it has ripples effects, ripple effects for all of us. And as much as it's sort of like a corny TV concept, that's so utterly and deeply true. And it's, and it's so perfectly executed in this episode. Like it's so perfectly shown how all of the things that happened to her, it's her grandfather, right? Yeah. Yeah. Her grandfather, like her whole life is impacted by this thing. The depth of anger and alienation and pain in his life, it's its why she is who she is. It has such an impact on her, and it's so beautifully done.
1: What, what I think is cool is, like, the, you're so right, like, there's all of this connective tissue that, like, it kind of explains everything about her life. But, like, up until this episode, she doesn't even know who her grandfather is. Like, there's all of this there's all of this cause and effect that, like, you don't actually need to necessarily be aware of the cause to understand the effect, like, two generations later. And, like, that's another thing that I think, like, right now is more important than it has been probably ever. Like, the idea that, (laughs) like, these things have lasting and and, then real implications, like, that propagate through time and, in fact, like, in many ways kind of exponentially grow. So, like, I don't know, like, we like from a from a film or like not a film but like from a from a television show like standpoint like this is just an expertly crafted episode and it's full of like all sorts of different things like there's great action set pieces and i just love the way that they like continually like the camera work is incredible because they continually flip like in and around buildings and people and so like the perspective changes from like the younger version of her grandfather and then like she herself is like involved in these and the whole the set piece is incredible because it's back in like you know whatever year it is like it's just it's just magic and it really sets the stage for like it, it and it, what's also really nice about it is that it helps explain like a lot of what at to this point in the show has been very confusing like some of like the actual overarching kind of plot points of like cyclops and the police and like all of this like these 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 parts that fit together more clearly after
0: this episode. So, and I think part of what's what's interesting and difficult to talk about with this is it's this genuinely is indescribably beautiful and perfect. Like this episode is not it's really difficult without having seen it to understand just how perfect every camera shot is. Just how cool sort of this noirish black and white atmosphere is. Like just how great and how hateable the guy who plays the villain from true detective is, and just how much you feel the pain of hooded justice. Like these are things that until you actually watch the show, like you just can't fully immerse yourself in it, or at least you and I are not capable of communicating it properly because it's just, it really is. It really does defy easy explanation. Just how great this episode is.
1: Yeah. So the last bucket I have here is basically like just adding new stuff. Like you can't just, you can't just rehash or recycle content from the, uh, you know, a beloved piece of, of, of a graphic novel or, or whatever. And so we've already talked about this a lot, but we're going to talk specifically about some of like the new concepts that they brought to the table that expand on the Watchmen legacy in like a pretty, in a very natural way. So you, you kind of alert alluded to it already. Like, Watchmen is what happens when you idolize and put faith in like these group of like really really flawed people. And like there are similar themes in The Dark Knight like you've already talked about. But and they kind of m- marry those two concepts and like <laughs> attack it head on in this show. This concept is like vigilantes as criminals and not heroes. And so I think like where it's most obvious it's in a pretty early episode. I think it's when they introduce Laurie Blake's character is This, it's basically, they're basically recreating the heist scene from The Dark Knight. (laughs) And, like, a very obvious Batman, like, substitute shows up on the scene, only to find out that the whole thing is a sting. And they arrest this guy's ass, like, immediately. And... I was so
0: confused. I was so slow on the uptake.
1: (laughs) So was I. I was, like, I was very, I was lost. And then when I realized what was happening, and when I realized... Um, who she was like she's the silver specter but like has is now working for the fbi and is like actively trying to reel in vigilantes like she was like that inversion of role for her i thought was brilliant and i thought the way they conveyed it was genius in a way that we kind of understand like you were saying from other contexts that we have of other like you know vehicles in this same medium and I think that's early, that's like episode one or two, and like having seen that, I was like, "Wow, the show's really fucking smart," and I really like where this is heading. But that's a, it's a recurring theme throughout this whole thing is like this idea that vigilantes are not people to be worshipped; like they're fucking criminals. And I really liked that. That seemed like a natural place to go after the way that Watchmen ended. And I'm glad that that's the step they took.
0: I also think it's interesting you said about adding new stuff. I think one thing that was just really cool was moving the the kind of focus of this show away from urban America and into kind of the heartland, because I think it, it has a couple of things that are kind of cool about that. One is just it's, it's a different visual. It's like different stakes, different, you know, kind of layout, which is it's Nice. Like, it's a nice break. Like, you picture seeing, you know, Batman in the countryside. It would just be unfamiliar and different, and it would give him an opportunity to do new stuff. So I really like that. But I also think it was a good opportunity to sort of introduce the themes the show wanted to talk about in a different spot. Because, like, I think we're all pretty well-versed in, you know, conflict between the majority and minorities in, you know, urban America. But to see it in kind of rural America in a way that really connects with America's past, was just really smart. And, like, adding adding just a new location really changes the feel of the, the whole universe in a way that was really positive.
1: Yep, I completely agree. I think you're right. Like, this, this whole show has, like, kind of a backwoodsy kind of vibe to it, which is absent, notably, from the first one. But I would say that, like... I don't know. Maybe this is too on the nose. Let me know what you think. But, like, this this show is intended to capture a moment in America where that part of the country is like kind of like for a long time, I think it had kind of been forgotten about and now like is can't be because it's like, it's the focus. It's why we're, where we are today. And I think that that was very intentional.
0: Completely. No question. Like, I think I remember reading a book called, um, Oh, what the hell! Is it called? I got it on the shelf somewhere over here. What the hell is it called? Oh, The Given Day. The Given Day by Dennis Lehane. It's this kind of epic story, and it starts off with um, following Babe Ruth uh, on a rail on a train, kind of playing baseball. I, th- I think he's in the majors at this point. Doesn't matter, but he's kind of traveling through the country, and he ends up on Black Wall Street in Oklahoma uh, in the nineteen teens, I believe. So I actually had some exposure to the concept of Black Wall Street and the massacre which is just like a bit of American history that most suburban white people just didn't hear about. I was just kind of, it was a coincidence. I was reading a book that was unrelated and kind of got familiarized with it. But I think that this was really intentional because the show is all about history and it's all about American history specifically and setting it in a place where, like you said, like the bat, it's the battleground states, like, what's going on with suburban moms? You know, who's going to win suburban white moms? Like these are the questions, like the questions all relate to this part of the country. And the answers, I think in this show's opinion also rest there because it's like, you want to answer the question of how the seventh cavalry exists, Cyclops, the police, the vigilantes go back to the fact that there was this massacre that occurred in Tulsa that people don't acknowledge in this show and in real life and the show's like okay look right here this is the answer this is the question and it's also the answer
1: yeah for someone like me who had no context like about black wall street i'm like was a real shock to me to find out that the opening scene of this show where people are being like literally having bombs dropped upon them as they flee like where they live is based on a real life event like that's I don't know, that's shocking and uh, expertly done, I think, in the show. But the point, the, the the larger point here was we were just talking about vigilantes as criminals. And so to move on to our next point is like kind of where they take that concept. It's like <laughs> the show, it's called Watchmen. Like there's going to be vigilantes in the show somewhere. So if they're not like going to be superheroes because they've been criminalized where do you see them come up? And so, like the 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 next point I want to talk about is this concept: is vigilantes is police, which like is <laughs> it's not it's not super subtle, right? Like they're wearing masks and they have all of these different monikers and like superhero names. Like I, I jotted down a couple: like Sister Knight, the Red Scare, Pirate Jenny, Looking Glass, the Panda. Like <laughs> they've basically just converted a panda, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've just like converted this like superhero capital and just kind of renamed it. And now it's the police and they, instead of like these vigilantes, that kind of like, don't have any kind of allegiance to any kind of like formal body. There's a really, this might be the line, my favorite line of the show. A bar is talking to Blake and Blake knows that a bar is sister night. And I think that it's kind of implicit. Like they both understand that each other knows and blake asks her like well how do you tell the difference between a vigilante and a cop wearing a mask (laughs) and she says oh i don't know blake says neither do i and like it's like again it's it's pretty in your face but like that that if you really think about it like there's not much of a difference and like obviously this concept becomes problematic the further you go into the show and like like aggressively problematic like in a in a way that wouldn't be reflected in, in real life probably but it's it's striking at the heart of a very real life issue is like where we decide to give power and like how much power we give to to you know like the people that we want responsible for protecting us like is a really fine line and this week like last week the week before that like that is a concept probably more than any other one we talked about so far that, well, maybe not more than, but like just as anyone we talked about so far is like extremely pervasive today. And like this show exaggerates the issue, but like not ultimately like not that much, which I think is really interesting.
0: So this is bringing to mind a couple thoughts. So I, I'm going to jump around. So one is that makes me think of the line in the departed when Frank Costello is saying like, what cops, criminals, like when you're facing down a loaded gun, what's the difference? and it's an interesting line and it's exploring the same concept again in a not so subtle way but that's the whole point of that movie and that is set in the the at least nominally real world so this is an idea that's been explored you know pretty pretty fully in a lot of different media so that's one thing i'm thinking of another thing i'm thinking of is the question of kind of how the police ended up in the state that they were in where they are wearing these masks and it reminds me of the end of um, Batman Begins when Gordon and Batman are discussing the Joker and they're saying like look at you you're wearing a mask take this guy like we buy you know we we buy bulletproof vests they buy armor piercing rounds we start carrying semi-automatics they start carrying automatics it's this concept of escalation and how as the criminals escalate the cops escalate and the criminals escalate and the cops escalate and it gets to the point in this world of the Watchmen where it's only logical for the police to wear masks And the problem isn't the police wearing masks. It's all of the things that went into the police wearing masks That's the problem. And to kind of bring it back to the real world for a second here, I think this issue has been in such stark relief, specifically with reference to the Breonna Taylor case, because you and I were talking about recently, like the concept of labeling and how important labeling is. And part of what I think has struck people as so it's so difficult to kind of get over with the Brianna Taylor case is the police did something. Now we're going to put aside the findings of the attorney general right now, because they're, they're a little difficult to parse through and they're very fresh. And we're still kind of working through what the, the, just the attorney general came out with, but just taking conceptually as police officers, having the authority to execute a no knock raid on a home versus regular citizens, Of course, not being able to break into somebody's home while armed, it introduces a privilege and a responsibility that we have delegated to a group of people that is considered a crime when done by somebody else. And that is a really difficult, really difficult dichotomy to accept. And in the show, they use the mask as the perfect symbol for this, like, We've got these people who wear when they wear a mask. They're a criminal. They have to hide their masks if it's a Rorschach mask. But if it's this other mask that has something else on it, they wear it proudly, and we look at them as heroes.
1: Yeah. Well, and well, th- this ties perfectly into my, my next point. Is but like <laughs> part of the problem is like <laughs> it's the same group of people in some cases, right? Like we talked about this with Alex, and like this is not like you know like the idea that because in this show, I think, I don't remember the actor's name, but Judd, like the chief of police like is, and his wife I think they're like the ones that are like behind this whole yeah, exactly they're the ones that are leading this whole 7th Cavalry you know, thing, and he's the chief of police and like it's exaggerated, but like it it represents something that is true in the real world, and what I think is interesting is, I want to say like it's true all the time. Cause we talked about this a lot when we talked, you know, to Alex about it, but like, the, like a bar, I think like pretty Angela, like we can pretty much say like, she's a, a heroic character and we, for the most part, kind of align ourselves with her. And she seems to be like pretty morally grounded. And she is a police officer working in a system that clearly is like not a good, you know, has been infiltrated by these other people. And like, in this case it's pretty pretty aggressive how that pans out but like i think that like it's a pretty easily transferable allegory of like there are good people and bad people and they're operating into this in this system that like in this case we can say definitively has been mutated into something evil and i don't want to i don't want to be <laughs> i don't want people to think i'm saying that our police officers are evil i think i'm the point is, I'm trying to say the opposite is like, even with people that are well intentioned, like Angela is in this show, she finds herself operating in this system, where she's wearing a mask and dragging people off the streets and beating them up for information. And I'm getting long winded. But the point is that like, there's a lot to parse here. That is, is is extremely relevant to what's going on today.
0: Well, as the resident long wind of, of the podcast, I can <laughs> sympathize with your problem. But the, the thing is, I, I think, I want to bring it back to Batman because these, as you said, like, this is deeply in conversation with things like Batman. The thing about Batman is he is, we accept as viewers of those films, fundamentally a good person. His aims are fundamentally good. Those are things we take as gospel. He wants Gotham City to be free of crime so that people can be free to live their best lives. Absolutely. He has a set of rules in place that he has imposed personally, that he will not cross this line, that line, that line. Part of the point of Batman is that it doesn't matter that he's a good person. We did not elect him. He does not have the authority to take over and do anything he wants. It doesn't matter how good a person he is. He's operating under a flawed set of assumptions and a flawed set of rules, And it's the same with Angela Abar. She can be as good a person as we want her to be, but she's operating in a fundamentally unjust system in which police officers are dressed as criminals and behave as criminals. It doesn't make her a bad person. It doesn't matter that this is the whole point is that it doesn't matter that she's a good person. She's in a flawed system. She could be the best person on earth. She can have even the powers of Dr. Manhattan. Even as a good person, the moment you have the powers of Dr. Manhattan, something is wrong.
1: Yeah. Well it's beautifully done, because it's it's murky as fuck, right? Like Angela's our hero, but like in a vacuum, like she does some like they've all like like most of the characters in this show like there's a whole lot of gray like even her grandfather like hooded justice like totally he, his motivation Don Johnson are-
0: didn't get a trial Don Johnson did not get a trial he this yep. is this is part of what's what's really difficult and the symbolism is is obviously right on the nose of lynching him but it's it's a really difficult cycle to break out of like the trauma and and the show does not tell us Hey viewer, you're stupid. This is a good thing that he's doing, or this is a bad thing that he's doing. It shows somebody doing something and asks you to to take some time to think about it, which is which is rare, and 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 I appreciate it.
1: Well, and it's the it's the absolute perfect segue because the last thing I have on my list is what I think is a really really poignant kind of ending note that the show lands on, and it at first at first blush I think it is just like a it feels like it needed to end with kind of a flourish and so that's what happens but i do think that the the lasting message so lady true her intention is to like harness the power of dr manhattan and using this unlimited power just get rid of all the seventh cavalry and just like obliterate them and just like we'll be done with this like group of like racist evil fucks and like that will be the end of that like thank god we'll wash our hands of it And she pretty much does as much like she blows up like several rows of people sitting right in front of her and like literally disintegrates them. But that is presented to us as like wrong, which it is. And she's ultimately kind of like one of the main villains of the show. And she has to be stopped. And like, however, that happens, like Vite and Ibar and Blake, like I can't team up and and stop her from just like assuming this otherworldly power and just kind of operating As judge jury executioner and so like what that said to me is like these people are evil like we've spent this entire show explaining to you how like these people wearing rorschach masks back in the 1920s or whenever it was they were evil then and they've changed kind of their messaging and they've changed their recruiting tactics and they've kind of changed their focus a little bit to make it look a little different but they're still evil but the solution is not to just obliterate them like that that can't be that can't be our end goal because now you've just you've just swapped out one like one ideology for another and i think that there's a lot of there's a lot of truth there to what how we think today like i think we've been like dancing around it a little bit and not dancing around it we've talked about it pretty openly i think on this podcast but like there's a lot of allegory here today about how i think like things have become really antagonistic, and it's like really hard to not choose a side when thinking about you know like our lives and in this show. But my lasting impression is that like the solution is not to to just completely dismiss this other this other group of people and and just be done with them and kind of marginalize or ignore them. The idea is somewhere in the middle. Like we need to figure out a way to make some kind of not not compromise because I think. <laughs> like in this show you wouldn't want to compromise with like these 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 people but like there's a there's a there's a solution that doesn't involve just completely obliterating them and so again i'm rambling but i i hope you understand what i'm trying to say i like that the show ends on this note of like you can't swing in this other direction all the way either
0: yeah i think it's i think it's interesting because it's definitely an issue sort of in the personal and the cultural level right now where like we do have the power not to obliterate people this way, but to mute people on social media to say like, oh, you posted some stuff that I'm not interested in. So I'm going to unfollow you. And I have heard like, of course, it's it's silliness and it's just, you know, think pieces. But like people saying, you know, what really, this country is so divided into two different groups of people, wouldn't it just be better if we took our balls and went home and we just had the United States of the North, United States of the South, like just like weird, you know, secessionist bullshit. Of course, those are think pieces. Nobody's talking seriously about that, but it's fundamentally the kind of the concept is I don't like what's going on with you. So I'm going to just excise you from my brain. And the show doesn't offer a particularly useful solution you know, an alternative to that, but that's because it's a really difficult and thorny issue. But like the, the question is if you're, if you're in a situation where you think you're the lady true and you don't think you're the seventh cavalry, which nobody thinks they're the seventh cavalry, that's kind of the point. And you think that you, you want to, to make sure that the seventh cavalry stops being the seventh cavalry. Your options are to ignore them slash get rid of them. Or do you re-educate them? Like what what is the fight that you're gonna take up? And I think the show really usefully asks that question because you have to you have to if you think you're the lady true and you think the other people are the seventh cavalry, there is no compromise, like you said. You can't compromise with that, but you also can't get rid of it. So you got a pretty limited set of options, get to work. And I think that's kind of the point
1: yeah yeah you're right like if, if you think that you're in a position of like the one that should be doing the obliterating like you're kind of missing the point point. and i think you hit the nail on the head and it, it's like but also like that that path of like trying to like maybe like share your perspective like also comes with like you have to be open to trying to understand someone else's perspective and like that is like of all the of the roads we've discussed like that is by far the hardest one like that requires so much effort and it's really difficult that's why it's not popular and it's easier it's it's so much easier if you're if you're trying to get something if you're a politician or if you're like whatever to to just pick a side and like that's your side that's the easier course to do and it's really hard to do in the middle and
0: and part of the difficulty of this is as the stakes get raised and you feel like you're right, it gets harder and harder to rationalize trying to listen to the other person because it's just put yourself in a situation. I, I like that the 7th Cavalry is, is a good, safe thing. So just put yourself in the situation where you see the 7th Cavalry rising. You can't possibly feel like it's your responsibility. When you think you're the part of the good part, you know, the good group, you're part of the solution. It can't possibly feel like it's your obligation to show empathy towards and try to understand the Seventh Cavalry because ultimately, at the core of that is something that you just find abhorrent. But that's part of the, the difficulty of being right, is it's your responsibility to be the one to do that reaching out. Because if you're right, your message is more important and you have to find a way to spread that message. Like, that's, that's kind of the, that's sort of the burden of being right. It's like, with great power comes great responsibility. It's the same with, with great, you know, with, with great righteousness comes great responsibility too. That's also true.
1: Yeah. I, I think we're in complete agreement. I just, I just love that, like, this is a conversation that we're having because of a TV show. Like, I think that, like, this is an, I think this is an important television show and I love that, like, we can discuss like these kinds of topics like a few minutes after we were discussing how much we love like dr manhattan penis graffiti like wrapped in this shell of like <laughs> wrapped in this awesome shell of like superheroes and blue guys that live on mars and a guy named Ozzy that like routinely sprinkles squids on top of the world like it's a it's a cool kind of alternate kind of way to assess this and it's more accessible i think definitely for someone like me who eats this kind of shit up. I don't know. I just I was really, really happy with this show. And the whole vibe of it is incredible. I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that the Trent Reznor uh, soundtrack is magnificent. So that's that's all I really had to say. I think that that, that's the end of my list anyways. And there's obviously not going to be any like re ranking or but I don't know. Do you have any closing thoughts?
0: I want my closing thought to be that I just am so glad that Regina King is such a part of my life because I think she's such a monumentally magnificent actress and she's so funny and so fierce and I just I love her so much and I loved that she was the hero of this show and the complicated difficult problematic hero but like she's so good she's just
1: yeah the show's brilliantly acted by all parties involved. They all have to pull their weight for it to work, and it sure Also, does.
0: Yaya Abdul-Mateen, like, holy crap, I did not, he was the, the like, the mantis, right? Or whatever, like, that stupid villain from uh, Aquaman, I think? Oh, was he really? The Manta Ray? I think he, or Manta Ray, that's what it was. I think that's him. Like, he's some dude who I just, like, thought was kind of a, you know, like, gonna be a, a B-level, like, bad guy in movies, and I think now I am just a dope and he's going to be in everything because he's amazing.
1: He had a hard job. He did a good, he did good work here. Anyways, that is it. If you, if you've watched, if you've listened to this whole podcast, I sure as hell hope that you have watched Watchmen. So we don't have to recommend it. But I hope that like, if anything, someone sees this in their feed and it's like, I should watch that show. And they do because it's really probably my my favorite thing I've watched on TV this year. I loved it.
0: Yeah, Same.
1: Anyways, this is usually the part of the show where we recap. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna skip right ahead to our thank yous. I usually thank Kevin McLeod. We blew right through the Not Top 3, so you didn't hear that today. But uh, we did hear the theme music, which he composed, so thank you, Kevin.
0: Yep, it was thankalicious.
1: fantastic And uh, even though you didn't hear the Not Top 3, you did see our artwork, probably. Unless you listen to podcasts differently than I do. And so you've noticed that the artwork is dope- And I uh, should note that Erin Sant did that. And more of her artistic stylings
0: are on Instagram at Sant Design. And speaking of uh, wonderful artistic stylings, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the artist from whose work I directly benefit financially, uh, Caroline Labranti, our social media coordinator. (laughs) She does great work for us on, uh, especially our Instagram feed. That's at Top10KM with the 10 spelled out T-E-N. We can also be checked out on Facebook. Uh, Top10KM or Top10 with Kyle. Oh Mike. I don't know what that it's called. Shoot us an email. Top10KM at gmail.com. 10 is also spelled out T-E-N. Tell us all the ways you screwed up. Tell us you wanted a not top three from the show. We'll block you immediately. Uh, but if you want to check out any of the other styles <laughs> of our social media director, you can check those out at CML.photos. And lastly... Well, I'm sure you're listening to this in some sort of podcast app. Uh, if you're looking for another one, you can check us out on the Apple podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean. Pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So, Kyle, that's what I got to say.
1: Just great stuff, Michael. Thank you for talking about watching with me for an hour. And uh, I'll catch you at some later time. All right.
0: Catch you on the flippity-flip. Peace.
1: Peace.